We already have the law to get weapons of war off our streets. We've done it before. Stephen Spainauer's son worked at one of the stores in the Allen, Texas shopping mall chosen by America's most recent mass shooter uh, as of Saturday. There were seven this weekend. He arrived at the mall just after the neo-Nazi murderer had slaughtered several people, sometimes ripping their bodies and faces into an indistinguishable mass of flesh with his three twenty two ammunition. The killer had moved on into the mall, Stephen Spanauer was probably thinking, when he saw a five-year-old child. The first girl I walked up to was crouched down, covering her head in the bushes, so I felt for a pulse, Spanauer, who is trained in CPR, told CBS News, adding that he then pulled her head to the side and she had no face. Next, he found a dead woman who appeared to be a laying across a young boy. When I rolled the mother over, he came out, Spanauer told CBS reporter J.D. Miles. I asked him if he was okay, and he said, My mom is hurt. My mom is hurt. Rather than traumatize him anymore, I pulled him around the corner, sat him down, and he was covered from t- head to toe. The child looked, Spanauer said, like somebody poured blood on him. His mother's blood his dead mother, who will never again hold or comfort that little boy for the rest of his life. All because an idiot with a right-wing death squad patch commonly warned by proud boys across his chest decided to shoot up a Texas shopping center with a mass-market version of the rifle the Army developed in the 1960s for hunting people in Vietnam. In response to the unimaginable horror that weapon of war inflicted on these humans, Republican Congressman Keith Self who represents Allen, Texas, in the U.S. House of Representatives, stepped up to a microphone and explicitly refused to say he'd do anything about the American slaughter. Quote, Our prayers are with the victims and their families and all law enforcement on the scene. Other Texas Republicans offered similar sentiments. Not even one of these cowards mentioned the word gun or promised to do a single damn thing. Republican Governor Abbott minimized the tragedy, saying, Our hearts are with the people of Allen, Texas tonight during this unspeakable tragedy. Republican Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick might as well spit on the corpses, asking Texans to please join me in mourning the victims of the unspeakable tragedy in Allen. Republican Senator John Cornyn, as he has so many times before, ignored the AR-15 that made such a quick and complete slaughter possible, saying instead, I am grieving with the Allen community tonight. Republican Senator Ted Cruz slipped into his usual sanctimonious, acceptable-to-the-NRA word salad. Heidi and I are praying for the families of the victims of the horrific mall shooting in Allen, Texas. We also pray for the broader Collin County community that's in shock from this tragedy. Indicted bribe-taker and fraudster Republican Attorney General Ken Paxton also talked like this slaughter was the result of some bizarre natural disaster, saying, Pray for Allen, Texas. Pray for these families and law enforcement. Thoughts and prayers don't do a damn thing. Coming from these mealy-mouthed Republicans, they don't even comfort the families. All they do is prepare Texas for the next massacre. Representing the rest of America, singer-songwriter Ricky Davila tweeted a list of Republican politicians and the money they took from the NRA, adding, Fuck their thoughts and prayers. It turns out this slaughter isn't really all that new or unique to the 21st century. America is once before awash in weapons of war, sparking a national fad of robbery and murder, murder, much like today's trend of mass shootings. We still remember their names. Bonnie and Clyde gunned down civilians and cops as they cut a bloody swath across the Midwest with their full-auto 30-06 
from uh, M1918 Browning automatic rifles, semi-automatic shotguns, and 45 caliber ACP rounds from semi-automatic M1911 handguns. Machine Gun Kelly preferred the Thompson machine gun to kill as many people as fast as possible. So did John Diller, Dillinger, whose famous Tommy gun has been recreated and is sold online today. Babyface Nelson liked to kill FBI agents with his fully automatic forty-five pistol. Pretty Boyd Floyd's famous weapon was an automatic Colt pistol. Ma Barker, who as a child was devastated when her hero Jesse James was killed in 1882, couldn't hold a rifle. She was only five feet four tall, so she used an automatic handgun. Al Capone preferred to carry a 38 Smith & Wesson handgun, letting his gang do the really bloody work with their automatic rifles and shotguns. Collectively, through the late 1920s and early 30s, these and hundreds of other less well-remembered killers used weapons developed for the battlefield around the time of the Civil War and World War I to spill blood all across America, weapons the founders of America and framers of the Constitution couldn't have dreamed of. And then America said, Enough. In 1934, Congress passed and President Roosevelt signed the National Firearms Act, which didn't outlaw even one single gun. Instead, it put a tax on automatic weapons, sawed-off shotguns, and a variety of other weapons of war. That's all it took to stop the slaughter. None of the weapons listed in the NFA are illegal, but they are under control. I've legally held and fired the same fully automatic Thompson machine gun like Machine Gun Kelly and John Dillinger used, among others. Many gun ranges offer rentals if you want to try to tar- if you want to try target practice with them. I shot them at a public gun range in Marietta, Georgia back in the 1980s when I was working on my Georgia private detective license, which I held for 2 years while writing some pretty awful novels about a PI and running an advertising agency. Most of the people shooting those fully automatic weapons in fact look pretty much average, generally middle class. There was even racial diversity and a lot of women. It was perfectly legal because the owner of the shooting range had paid the tax to get the federal license. To be eligible to pay the tax, you must first acquire a federal firearms license. Step one is to fill out an application with the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, which you can find online. You pay a fee that can range from $30 to $3,000. Most are $200 for fully automatic weapons, a number that hasn't changed since 1934. Provide a photo and submit your fingerprints. After you've been checked out, you'll be called in for an in-person interview with an ATF industry operations investigator who will vet you for ownership of your very own fully automatic machine gun. There were no gun buyback programs in the 1930s. Nobody went door-to-door confiscating guns. But once everybody understood that it was illegal to sell or possess an automatic or sawed-off weapon of war without first getting a license and paying the tax... They simply started to disappear from the American scene outside of licensed shooting ranges like today. Which brings us to a simple proposal. When enough ethical politicians hold office to pull it off, hopefully after the 2024 election, simply amend the National Firearms Act to include semi-automatic weapons along with the existing category of fully automatic weapons and sawed-off shotguns. After all, most semi-automatic weapons were originally developed for warfare. They are, pure and simple, designed to kill as many people as fast as possible, whether they be handguns or long rifles. There are a handful of sort-of semi-automatic low-capacity rifles commonly used for hunting. They could be exempted. This would not conflict with the Second Amendment or even the Heller decision, as bizarre and twisted as it was. 
as I document in the hidden history of guns in the Second Amendment. It's perfectly legal, and it could take us back in time to a less deadly America. Fire up Netflix or Amazon Prime and watch a few cop shows from the 1970s and early 1980s. Macmillan and Wife, Adam 12, Hill Street Blues, Cagney and Lacey, etc. Semi-automatic weapons were few and far between back then because they were so hard to get and expensive. They were widely acknowledged as purely for the battlefield. Cops carried revolvers, as did criminals. Rifles were mostly bold action. And mass shootings almost never happened. Semi-automatic weapons are very profitable for their manufacturers, and they're the weapon of choice for mass and school shooters. Most are designed specifically to hunt and kill human beings, which is why we shouldn't allow them to stay on our streets without restrictions. Let's take them out of general circulation just as we did machine guns back in the day. If you're buying a gun to protect yourself or your home, by the way, a bad idea, and the home, guns in the home are far more likely to be used against a resident than a bad guy. A simple handgun is convenient and works just fine. And any idiot who walks into the woods with an AR-style rifle will be laughed out of the forest by actual sportsmen. There's nothing sporting about mowing down deer or rabbits with a giant magazine and two two thirty three ammo, not to mention what it does to the meat and hides. In fact, the groups calling for continuing the unregulated status of semi-automatic weapons of war are mostly made up of people actually planning seditious warfare against the United States. Members of the so-called militia movement and other crackpots believe the BS story the NRA started peddling in the mid-1970s, that the Second Amendment was written so average Americans could kill tyrannical politicians and American police enforcing their laws. The reality is the exact opposite. The Constitution itself contains numerous references to the requirement of the government to put down insurrections and rebellions by people like today's Proud Boys and Three Percenters. Every one of the 50 states today explicitly outlaws unregulated civilian militias, either by constitution or law or both. Virginia, the home of Madison, Jefferson, Henry, Mason, Washington, etc., was the first, putting into their constitution in, in 1776, quote, that a well-regulated militia composed of the body of the people trained to arms is the proper, natural, and safe defense of a free state, that standing armies in times of peace should be avoided as dangerous to liberty, and that in all cases the military should be under strict subordination to and governed by the civil power. Forty-eight of the fifty states have similar clauses in their constitutions requiring any militia in the state to be subordinate to civilian authorities, typically the governor, occasionally the legislature, or both. Georgia and New York are the exceptions. Twenty-nine states have specific laws outlawing private militias altogether. Twenty-five states, as the Brennan Center for Justice notes, have laws that generally prohibit teaching, demonstrating, instructing, training, and practicing in the use of firearms, explosives, or techniques capable of causing injury or death for use during or in furtherance of a civil disorder. As you can see from this history, the last thing the founders and politicians in every state over the past 200-plus years thought was that Americans should be armed with weapons of war to fight against the government that they themselves created. And it's not like this is a new issue. Back in 1886, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled in Presser v. Illinois, upholding state anti-militia laws, that, quote, it cannot be successfully questioned that the state governments have also the power to control and regulate the organizing, drilling, and parading of military bodies and associations, except when such bodies or associations are authorized by the militia laws of the United States. The exercise of this power by the states is necessary to the public peace, safety, and good order. 
To deny the power would be to deny the right of the state to dis- disperse assemblages organized for sedition and treason, and the right to suppress armed mobs met on riot and rapine. Back in 1907, when the Klan was the main white supremacist militia of the day, although it operated under multiple different names in various states, the Washington Supreme Court ruled that, quote, Armed bodies of men are a menace to the public. Their mere presence is fraught with danger, and the state has wisely reserved to itself the right to organize, maintain, and employ them. In other words, there's not one single legal rationale to keep weapons of war on the streets of America. If anything, doing so is antithetical to our Constitution and over 200 years of law, both state and federal. It's time to get these weapons of war off our streets, and we have a tool, the tool to do it in the Federal Firearms Act. For years, I've suggested we should treat guns like cars, require registration, a shooter's license, and liability insurance. That's still a good idea, but we must first figure out how to rid our towns and cities of these ultra-deadly weapons of war. This could do it. We already have the law in place, and a sweeping change could come across our nation with a single tweak. Had we done this a year ago, a little boy in Texas would still have his mother, and a five-year-old girl would still have her face. Let your members of Congress know.